when you don't have boundaries in place, it's not that people are necessarily taking advantage of you. You have not said no. So they believe the answer is yes. everyone, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to an installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your big potential. And of course, have some fun along the way. I am so excited to bring you a really special conversation that I had recently with Yasmin Cheyenne. She is the host of the Sugar Jar podcast, a self-healing expert, as well as an advocate for mental wellness. And for today's episode, we are chatting all about boundaries. What are boundaries? How to set boundaries? How to not feel guilty about your boundaries? So much goodness in this episode. I'll be the first person to say that over the last few years, establishing and maintaining my boundaries has been something that has been both truly difficult and also very empowering. And so my hope for you today, as you listen to this, is first and foremost to understand that boundaries are a critical, critical part to your overall self-care and mental well-being. It is so important that you are in tune with where you are firm in your life. And that stems from as well, knowing your values and being able to articulate what those are. And we talk all about that in today's episode. So grateful for Yasmin's energy and her amazing perspective. I learned so much from this conversation. I felt like it came at the perfect time for me. And I hope you feel the same. Make sure you are following along with Hurdle over on social. It's at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Yasmin Cheyenne. She is a self-healing expert. She's the host of the Sugar Jar podcast. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh my God. Thanks for joining me. I am admittedly kind of on cloud nine because full disclosure, this is the first week of a new season of the show. And I felt really passionately about talking a little personal wellness self, like just taking care of self this week. And so Mm -hmm. this is why I'm so excited to sit down with you because we're here today to talk about boundaries among Mm -hmm. many, many things, which is so, so important. Yes. Boundaries is everything. It's like the foundation of how we should be interacting in relationships anyway (laughs) with ourselves and others. It's so true. It's so true. So before we start talking about how to set healthy boundaries, why don't you give the hurdlers, as I love to call my audience, a little insight (laughs) into how you became a self-healing expert. And, you know, beyond that, I know you're also an advocate for mental wellness. So talk to me how you got into this work. Yeah, you know, I I think that like many people, um, 
my journey started with my own, uh, my own healing journey. But actually, um, when I was on active duty in the military, I was working with um, victims of crime, domestic violence, uh, you know, assault, all kinds of um, really tough crimes um, and experiences for people to go through. And while I was doing that, I realized that they weren't really being given anything that would help them in terms of their healing. Um, and I, that's when I really started to begin to get curious about, like, why aren't we doing more? Why am I just giving them these forms to file? You know, why? Are, how are they going to pay for therapy? Like, we're not giving them money for, like, all of these things start to occur to me. And that's when I really begin to say, okay, well, if, and it's also where I started my introduction to trauma. Because I realized I thought trauma was something that only happened, you know, I, I didn't understand that trauma was something that we could all experience. Um, and so that's when I begin to dive into my own healing journey, um, because nothing will introduce you or invite you to do your own healing, like helping people heal, um, even though I wasn't doing or facilitating work the way that I do today. And yeah, that's how I kind of got into it. Uh, like almost 15 years ago now. <laughs> wow. So much to unpack here. Talk to yeah. us a little bit about your military service. Yeah. I mean, I um, I served on active duty um, in the Air Force for five years on active duty, uh, five years reserve. But um, when I was on active duty, I was in the legal department. A lot of people know it's called JAG, like the TV show from like 20 years ago or something. Um, and I didn't have a traditional military experience because of that. Um, I, again, assert, and I always, I will always, I will always say that I didn't have a traditional military experience because I really didn't belong there. I was always trying to find a way to bend the rules, break the rules. We shouldn't be doing things like this. This doesn't make sense. We should be helping people. We should. So I didn't really fit, but I, you know, when I was in legal, I getting the opportunity to. Uh, prosecute and do things like that. That victim advocacy two years really changed everything for me. I knew I had to get out. I knew I I was in the wrong place. I didn't know what I was going to be doing, but I definitely knew that what I was doing was not it. Wow. And where were you stationed for this? Um, I was stationed in Georgia, but, you know, I've been all over. I've, you know, been all over the U.S. I've deployed. And so I think um, Doing something like that so young, leaving, you know, I'm from Brooklyn, so leaving Brooklyn so so young, doing something like that. Being from New York, you think that, like, you really have a grasp on the world because it's such a, there's so much happening um, in New York and in Brooklyn, and you get access to so many different kinds of people. And leaving New York was when I realized, oh, wow, so actually the rest of the United States um, is more in common than anything that's happening in New York, and it's where I really begin to you know, experience other things, other people, other places, and which is such an important part of the work that I do today. You mentioned uh, feeling as though, you know, things should have been a different way. What inspired you to get into that line of work to begin with? Um, well, you know, joining the military was really, I'm 19, I'm not in college. I want to do something with my life. It was mm. a very like, I'm at the mall and there's a recruiter's office. Let's go in. Like, you know, I was a much, very much a, a risk taker and I just went in, signed up and like a month later I left. I didn't really wow. understand uh, what I was doing or signing up for um, and just thank goodness I got into a career field um, where I was able to actually do something that I feel was really impactful to people. 
something to double click on you said before, which really resonated with me as a person who's also uh, made it her mission to help others is Mm -hmm. the idea that you don't truly, truly dive into your own healing until you're trying to help others do the same. Mm -hmm. For you, when you started to get into this line of work, did you start to realize truly a lot of the trauma that you hadn't really focused on in your past? No, you know, so I, I actually kind of did the reverse. So I didn't do any real facilitating until I felt like I was strong enough to hold space. Um, I talk about this sometimes, but I feel like, and there is no point of being fully healed. There is no point of being fully on the other side, but there is a point when you're a facilitator of healing work that you should be able to hold space for people, be present to people be aware of your own triggers, not project, and be fully present for the person's experience. Um, And so a lot of that work that I needed to do to be able to do that, I did before I started holding space for others. But to also um, answer your question, there are times where I am facilitating or doing one-on-one sessions or writing my book like I'm doing doing right now, where I recognize, wow, (laughs) You know, this just unpe- this has unpacked a whole nother layer um, that I wasn't even aware of. Um, and I'm thankful to be able to hold that for myself until afterwards and then, you know, unpack it with myself or with my own therapist, et cetera. I think that the natural first question that someone has when they hear, you know, a designation like a self-healing expert is, mm-hmm. well what makes you an expert? So before we start to to preach on boundaries, mm-hmm. let's give some more context to that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I started uh, teaching self, self-healing uh, 10 years ago. And what I was doing um, was actually, it's, it's a funny story. So when I recognized that I wanted to do healing, I knew that I wanted to help people feel better. And I imagined that that would be through clothes. And so I became a stylist and I did that for a couple of years. But the in my styling sessions, we never talked about clothes. They were always about the, it's because it's never about the clothes and it's never about the makeup and it's never about any of that stuff. Um, but we would talk about the feelings and the societal uh, norms and all of the things that led to people feeling this way. And that's when I really begin to get my, my certifications, go through my own excursions, everything from legitimate in a classroom, um, learning how to facilitate to the middle of Mount Shasta um, excursions and all kinds of woo-woo uh, things that I've done um, to to explore what self-healing could be like. Um, and through all of those things, all of those trainings, um, my college education, you know, everything, I begin to build self-healing frameworks, which basically means teaching people how to be able to access healing for themselves. Almost, I don't know how many students later, maybe even 70,000 people I've been able to, my work has been able to reach 100,000 people. I don't know, you know, probably more than that. I'm probably being modest, but having people come back to me and share with me, I finally feel like I can journal because I thought that I had to do it this way. I finally Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of people are afraid to go to therapy because they don't even know how to have those internal conversations with themselves first. What am I even going to therapy to talk about? My life is fine. You know, things are a little bit messed up or things are a little bit this, but if I, you know, if I quit my job and find a new job, everything will be fine. Or, you know, if my boyfriend will finally start doing what I need him to do, things will be fine. Or if I, you know, 
they, they there's no grasp. And what I think the reason I think self healing is so important, and the reason why I teach it, and I actually didn't call myself an expert until someone else did, um, is that I think it's important for people to have that self awareness and self inquiry before we can even start the process. And I'm I'm honored to be doing this part of the work that gives them the invitation to explore all of the other areas of wellness and healing. How many people can relate to what you just also said, which is <laughs> I didn't even call myself an expert until somebody else did. Because again, it's that like imposter syndrome moment, right? It's like you literally just listed off so many things you did from schooling to legitimate expe- expeditions, yet you needed someone else to just like pop in and validate that you're doing pretty good at what you want to do. Oh my gosh. Isn't that the truth? You know, I think that I don't struggle as much with imposter syndrome now, but I definitely felt like, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I was focusing on what I was doing in the teaching and I didn't want to, you know, put expert on the end of it. It felt, and and I think it's important to just talk about, I'm glad you you mentioned that because when we do work and when we dedicate decades, years, of our lives to um, learning how to teach. And we actually have the proof to show that we are good at what we're doing. Um, we should honor that and step into it. And there's there's such a, um, especially for women and especially for Black, I'm a Black woman. So there's often this, um, well, I don't want to be too you know much, or I want to stay humble, or I don't want to uh, overstep. And it's like, no, overstep. Like, no, just step into it. Be grounded. Stand in firm in, in who you are and what you do. Um, and I think that's important too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can totally relate to it because only recently did I start referring to myself, I would say, as a wellness expert. Mm-hmm. I also have a personal training certification, a run mm-hmm. coach certification, a level one precision nutrition certification. I've been writing and editing health and wellness content for the better part of a decade now. Like I've been mm-hmm. doing the work, but I agree. It's it's difficult sometimes to step into that because you want to keep that humbleness, right? Mm-hmm. But it's almost, uh, it kind of reminds me of this idea that you can like be kind and firm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can be a good person, but also firm in who you are mm-hmm. and not need to let people perhaps push your boundaries, which is what yeah. <laughs> yeah. we're about to get into here. Uh, so yes, I can totally, I can totally relate to where you're coming from. Mm-hmm full circle moment back to boundaries. Mm -hmm. So I have listened to you speak a bit about this on the Sugar Jar podcast. How long have you been podcasting? I have been podcasting. I just started last year. Um, I used to do a lot of episodes and after doing episodes with others, they would say, you need to do your own podcast. So (laughs) (laughs) I love that for you. I I had the pleasure, uh, just like I know that you have, and I saw that you were on her show as well, to chat with Alex L. And I mean, talk about some really beautiful work that she Mm -hmm. does as well as the work that you do. It was really awesome to hear the two of you connect. She's an amazing friend. Um, I love Alex. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, okay, boundaries. Why don't we start by uh, why don't we start by giving a loose definition of boundaries? So, my definition of boundaries is boundaries are the rules or regulations or standards that we put in place that basically um, form the idea of how I interact with this person, place, or thing, this commitment, um, or myself. So boundaries are what is okay, what is not okay, and then boundaries need to be a verb, meaning 
there has to be action taken for the boundary to to exist. So you can't have a boundary imaginary, imaginarily in your head. You can't have a boundary that you think about and you think people should just know what it is um, unless it's like touching your hair or touching your body without your permission. Like people should just know that's not okay. But, and so that's the definition of boundaries. And I, the reason why I mentioned that that part where it needs to be a verb, it needs to be action, because unless you advocate for the boundary, unless you share it either by your actions or by the way that you communicate it to others or yourself, then they don't exist. So for example, if you don't want to pick up your phone after seven o'clock because you want to go to bed early, you can set a boundary where you put do not disturb on your phone. You don't have to tell everyone in your context list that you're going to bed early now. The boundary is the do not disturb. Mm. You have to enforce it by not answering your text after seven o'clock. That's, that's, that's a, an uncommunicated boundary. Um, a communicated boundary is something like, hey, don't wear shoes in my house. <laughs> I only recently started enforcing this boundary (laughs) in my new apartment. And let me tell you what I learned about this is it is monumental. I have a white part in my carpet in my living room and I was so hesitant to buy the carpet because I thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be dirty within a month. What am I doing? It is still white and it's been four months. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this is not what we're here to talk about. (laughs) I, uh, why I think the next, I mean, now that we've defined boundaries, talk to me about why having boundaries is essential for self-care. Yeah. And f- or for healing or for wellness or to feel good. Uh, boundaries are essential. They're, the, they're what I call the foundation of healing. Without boundaries, the house doesn't stand. So if you are in a relationship where there are no boundaries, then people are able to take from you. People are able to, and again, this is with your permission. This is the key. When you don't have boundaries in place, it's not that people are necessarily taking advantage of you. You have not said no. So they believe the answer is yes, because you have not said anything. So with your permission, people have access to you. Um, or maybe you are saying yes, giving money, giving time, giving resources without with, with the knowing that you don't want to be doing it, but you feel like you should be doing it, or you feel like that's what a good person would do, or this is what a good daughter would do, a good, you know, partner. All of those, all of these societal norms that we have bought into that keep us from living fully in our alignment and our truth, um, that keep us from doing what we want to actually be doing. So boundaries, without boundaries, we're most likely in relationships where we give too much, where we share too much where we are giving more of ourselves than we have access to. And when we do that, we don't have enough left for ourselves. So self-care cannot exist when boundaries don't exist. You won't have time for it. It's just just unfortunately the truth. Um, And so when people, you know, when I have clients um, share with me, you know, I don't have time for um, self-care. You don't have boundaries, most likely, is what is it's happening. Or you said yes or overcommitted yourself to things. And sometimes it's not even around, about people around you. Sometimes it's like, I have a goal. I want to accomplish all of these things by the time I'm 35. I've moved the age up as I age. 40. Um, I want to accomplish all these things by this certain age. And so I overcommit myself because I'm trying to reach this goal when in actuality, I'm exhausted. I'm drained. I'm unhappy. And, and boundaries help us to still go for those goals still have commitments, still have friends, have family, people in our lives, have a life. But to have an actual life where we feel good on a regular basis, you're still going to have ups and downs with boundaries. Life is not going to be a fairy tale with boundaries, but you will at least have access and awareness of what you're saying yes and no to and why. 
Um, and another thing too, that boundaries helps us to not carry is resentment. So many of us are carrying resentment and anger because we're doing things that we feel we should be doing that we don't want to be doing. And, and boundaries is a way to second, like check yourself. Is it, why am I saying yes to this? Yeah, yeah, check yourself. It's uh, it's interesting. I mean, you gave the practical example uh, before about the boundary of the do not disturb and shutting your phone down at seven o'clock at night. I got a question uh, not all that long ago from a hurdle listener, and she was saying that she was having a difficult time in her friendships and relationships because she is training for a marathon, and mm. it seems as though all of her friends don't seem to understand how important this is to her, why she can't uh, be out and about all the time. And I messaged her back and we actually had a really beautiful discussion about boundaries and about how it can be really important for her in that situation to reiterate to them how important it is for her to have them in her life, but she just needs to do it in a different way at this mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in situations like that where I have not ran a marathon, I've ran a half, but even that was exhausting. I can imagine the amount of training and time commitment. Um, so she set the boundary. The boundary is I am training for a marathon and so I don't have a lot of time for other things right now. And the hard part about boundaries is of course, the enforcing them, the conversations, like why can't you come out and drink? Why can't you come to the party? Why can't you do this thing? Um, and so that's usually the part of boundaries that causes causes people to, to use like a spades term, renege to, you know, to, to want to come back and, and say, well, I don't, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I don't want to make my friends uncomfortable. Um, or I don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable in the guilt that I feel about how you feel about me having these boundaries. So maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm doing too much. And we begin to second guess choosing ourselves or choosing what matters to us um, because someone's a little bit uncomfortable about the way that we're choosing to live our lives. And that's the dance that we are in with boundaries, constantly having to come back to ourselves and say, like, am I actually overreacting about wanting to go to sleep early so that I can run in the morning? No. Like, is this going to be something that's uncomfortable for them because there's a change and a shift? Absolutely. Can I reassure them that our relationship still matters to me? Yes. Is it my work to help them on the journey of their discomfort about me running this marathon? Absolutely not. That's something that they need to work through. Why I feel the way I feel about my friend doing this thing. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's, that's a, that, that's an example that, you know, people think boundaries are only for the big things They're for everything, the big things, the things that seem little, the things that we consider to be little, that's something that someone might think I'm overreacting. It matters to you. And that's all that matters is that it matters to you. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about one of the new sponsors on Hurdle, and that is Future. Future is a new workout experience that pairs you one-on-one -on -one with a fitness coach who will map out a custom workout plan and also keep you accountable every single day all through the Future app. When you sign up for Future, you're paired with your own fitness coach who custom built a workout program that is delivered straight to your phone every single week. 
personally, this is my second go around with the Future app. I spent about six months working with a trainer last winter and I loved it. And today, right today, right now, this is my day one. I'm starting back up. And what I love about Future is that right after you begin, you'll hop on a FaceTime call with your coach and blueprint out any goals, injuries, where you like to work out, the equipment that you have available to you. This way, your coach can then develop a comprehensive training plan, taking into account any and every factor you'd like to fit in. Also, this coach is so accessible to you. Your coach will check in with you via FaceTime and text, and they are really at the ready to answer any questions you might have, fine-tune your workouts, and check your form. I have loved my experience with the Future app. I only deviated away from it briefly during my marathon training. And now I'm ready to jump right in. And I would encourage you to do the same, especially because the price point is right. I ask you, are you ready to invest in your health and fitness? The answer is yes, I know it. So get started right now with the first month of Future at just $19. Did I mention that this is customized training? That is a stellar deal. You can get it by heading to tryfuture.com slash hurdle. Again, that is T-R-Y-F-U-T-U-R-E.com slash hurdle to get your first month of training for just $19. Now note, your first 30 days are risk-free and you can cancel at any time for a full refund. Also got to give some love to my sponsor at Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is your personalized health dashboard. They analyze your biological data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on in your body and provide science-backed recommendations so that you can take control of your own health. So let me talk through what this looks like in practice. The first thing you do, you choose your plan. I myself have done three different ultimate tests at this point. Then you'll be prompted to schedule a blood draw through one of their partners. And after that, very soon after that, I think the last time I got my results within 48 hours, you receive your biomarker analysis, complete your wellness survey, and get personalized science-backed guidance based on your data and your goals. For me, I've talked about this on the show before, but I, like many women, had low iron and ferritin levels. And through working with Inside Tracker, talking to a registered dietitian, I was able to incorporate more things into my diet, including leafy greens, cashews, a little bit more red meat, all of which got my levels to where they should be and had me feeling a whole lot less tired and a whole lot better. Of course, Inside Tracker has a deal for you. If you head on over to insidetracker.com slash hurdle, that's I-N-S-I-D-E-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.com slash hurdle, you can get 20% off the entire store today. Again, that's insidetracker.com slash hurdle for 20% off your purchase today. something else you said before the phrase, well, what would a good person do? Mm -hmm. That can be just like so damning, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to just like be that blunt about it, but it could be something as simple as 
perhaps someone that you've needed to create a boundary in your life, you haven't spoken in quite some time, and then their birthday rolls around. Mm -hmm. And it's like, talk about the birthday boundary. Like, do you say happy birthday? Is this good for your self-care? Is this good for your mental wellness? I feel like there are so many instances in life where you might not want this person to think that you don't want to celebrate them, but that doesn't mean that it's good for your mental well-being. (laughs) Right. I honestly always ask myself and share with clients or I'm facilitating, like, if I have to go back and forth in my head, if I'm feeling anxiety about even texting, calling, I have to prepare myself physically and mentally for a text. That is the answer. The answer is this is I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to do this. Amen. And it's <laughs> it's like you, it, yeah, you, they may think they may think you're not a quote unquote good person. Is it true? You know, sometimes we have to do this, you know, like what I call fact checking ourselves. Like, is it actually true that I'm not a good person? Or have I learned over time that the way that we are in relationship with each other is not helpful to my mental health and I am now taking care of myself? That's oh, what, you are that's- speaking to my soul. <laughs> speaking to my soul. Okay. So, I mean, we've talked about just now we've wrapped about the importance of boundaries, but as we're kind of getting into here, uh, the practice of Mm -hmm. establishing and upkeeping them can be quite difficult. Mm -hmm. So let's jam on that. How does at first someone even begin to articulate their boundaries? Yeah, you know, that's probably the hardest part. And I always uh, suggest starting with self-boundaries. Self-boundaries are the boundaries we set with ourselves, the way that we take care of ourselves. If I say, I'm going to do this thing, if I'm running the marathon and I know that I need to eat a certain amount or drink enough water or whatever, um, that's a boundary. Am I doing those things that I said that I'm going to do for myself with myself? Um, If I said I'm going to go to sleep at a certain time, am I following that boundary? If I said, I'm not going to drink or I'm going to only have one drink, whatever it is. Am I, am I following what I said with myself? And the reason why that's so important is because it's hard to set boundaries externally. It's hard to have that com- communicative conversation externally when we aren't having those conversations with ourselves internally. So I don't even know what I'm actually advocating for. I know I'm uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know what to say about why I'm uncomfortable. Um, and when we have that in, internally, you know, when we start to talk to her, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable because I haven't drank water. Well, I didn't drink water because I worked past my alarm. You know, we begin to recognize, oh, that's what that uncomfort is. Because in the beginning, the discomfort just feels like sometimes anger or exhaustion or resentment or projection. <laughs> we don't actually know what it is until we start to have that self-awareness which is why I feel like that's where the self-healing helps us to build that muscle to say, oh, I need to set this boundary with myself. I probably also need to set this boundary with others. And in the practice, like you were sharing or are asking, we don't always have to communicate our boundaries. We don't always have to say, hey, can I sit down with you? Because I have a new boundary. Like, I really didn't want to buy this carpet, but I really wanted this carpet. And so, you know, we don't have to have that conversation. It's like, hey, if you want to come inside, you have to take your shoes off. Like, why is it? it I mean, is it kind of, you know, it could be common sense <laughs> for, some. <laughs> for some, but um, sometimes we're just sharing what the boundary is, right? We don't have to communicate or explain is a better way. We don't have to explain why it's important for this to happen. 
But then there are other boundaries where, or practicing boundaries where if you're in a romantic relationship with your partner, you might have to say, hey, this is why I'm setting this boundary. You might have to have those tough conversations with kids, with parents, with people that you're in interpersonal relationships with. Um, and so beginning to, to parse all of that out starts with the self. What mm. do I need? And how can I give it to myself first, first and foremost? And I almost feel like you could even dial this back one more layer because this practice of establishing your boundary, boundaries and articulating what's important to you also likely stems from your personal values, right? Mm-hmm. So being able to sit down and articulate what it is in your life that is of importance to you, where you do want to, you know, give and donate your energy and, and really focus on. Absolutely. I mean, that's where the sugar jar uh, concept comes from that I that I teach from. Like you look at your jar, you know, the jar, the glass jar itself is is you is is your boundaries. Um, the sugar is your energy, your time, your money, um, all of the things that you can give or exchange. And then the lid is 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 the permission. When you take the lid off, people can come in and have access to you. When you put the lid back on, they don't have access. Many of us have our jar in the kitchen where people are just roaming in and out, taking out sugar, there's sugar all over the place. And, you know, like our energy, like our time, like our money, when sugar spills, it's n- you're not going to get all of it back, right? So then we're having to fill ourselves back up. But it's hard to keep your jar full if people are just coming in and out, you know, constantly um, using it for whatever. So you have to put your lid on. But in order to put your lid on, you have to know your lid is off. You have to know that it's you. And it's it's. I think the values um, are important, but I I notice that the va- this is just in, in in my experience with clients that that doesn't come until they start to say no. That that usually doesn't click until they start to they know they're uncomfortable. They're like, hey, I actually don't. It could be something like a birthday party. I don't want to go to that birthday party, um, not because I don't love them, but because I have work tomorrow. Whatever. And then when they say the no, when they do the first the first time they advocate for themselves and maybe they get that projection or that pushback or whatever it is that they get from that person. If they get the yes, I understand, girl, I'm so happy for you. Then it's like, oh, my God, you know, I, I set a boundary and they're proud for me. That has happened maybe twice. And <laughs> all of the people. <laughs> oh, damn, you were giving them so much hope. I know. Like this could happen to me. It definitely happens with people that you are in relationship with who are also doing their own work. I was going to say that understand who you are and appreciate you and like your well-being. It's that idea like well, they you have to fill your cup up first so that you could f- you have to fill up your own sugar jar so that you can like, you know, take it's the cake. people who are taking care of their own sugar jars and taking care of themselves. It's not even about you. Like if they're taking care of themselves and they can also understand someone else taking care of themselves, if they're not Amen. taking care of themselves and they're like. What do you mean you need time for yourself? But yeah, once they say that no and they get that pushback or that projection or that that trigger, then they recognize, oh, I'm uncomfortable with this. Why am I uncomfortable with this? Because I, I'm uncomfortable with standing. You know, so what do I need? Oh, I need to be in relationships with people who understand that I'm going to say no sometimes. That's like yeah. the, the, the value building, the understanding starts to to click together. Definitely, definitely. Okay, because so before we people about... usually think their about ba- their values are I serve, I, I I show up for my friends, I care for people, I'm I'm a good person, I'm a kind person, I'm the strong person, whatever. So we've talked about the importance of establishing your values and the importance of starting these conversations with yourself first when it comes to setting boundaries. We've talked about also how it can be difficult to implement these when it comes to uh, bringing other people into the mix. So do you have any perhaps? 
tips to, to help the hurdlers get to that stage? Yeah. So once you've started setting boundaries with yourself, you recognize, okay, I'm going to have to set some boundaries with people in my life. It's really important to begin to be honest with yourself about who you're dealing with. That's the first place that we start. In our dream mind, in our dream scenario, every single person will be ecstatic that we're putting a lid on our jar, that we're setting boundaries, that we're not giving all of ourselves away anymore. But unfortunately, a lot of people that we're in relationship with, even people who love us, even people who are family, even people we have children with, all of them, um, enjoy the parts of us that are boundaryless. And so it can feel for them sometimes like it can create a energy of defensiveness. Why don't you want to continue to overgive to me? And so what you have to begin to ask yourself uh, when you before you set these boundaries with people is, do I have any evidence that this is someone who may not be able to handle this conversation? For example, are they in therapy? Have they do they are they doing their own healing? Do they take care of themselves? Um, do we already have tense conversations or communications? Um, the reason why it's important to do this is because sometimes, uh, even in the relationships that you want to set boundaries in or that you're hoping that boundaries will make the relationship easier, it's it's helpful to be honest with yourself about the possibility that these might be relationships that will drastically change when you set boundaries. And what I mean by drastically change is shift, end, um, go away, because sometimes boundaries are the deal breaker for relationships. People don't want to be in relationship with you as, as a boundary person. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that is obviously where so many people struggle, right? The mm-hmm. the idea of losing someone who at one point in time was very important to you. Mm-hmm. And it's not that all of a sudden you don't care about their well-being, but at times it's like you can only give and give and give so much until you realize that you're just hurting yourself in that process. Mm-hmm. It's It's so true. And I think why that's the first step is because um, it can be very jarring and shocking. Um, sometimes incredibly close people that you thought would be with you forever are the people that those relationships end in. Um, having that conversation with yourself doesn't make it easier, but it at least prepares you for the possibility that this is something that could happen. Um, and then with the people that you think might be, um, and this, is, this isn't typing people or projecting onto people or, you know, it's just being honest with yourself. Like based on the interactions I've had with them so far, what do I think I'm getting myself into? And then you try the conversation. You say, hey, you know, this is what's going to be happening going forward. Um, This is why. Again, these are interpersonal relationships where the boundary might affect the relationship to the point where communicating is the healthy and kind and respectful thing to do with someone that you're in relationship with. And then you have the conversation. And, you know, I just it's it's interesting. You really never know how people are going to react. Um, sometimes people are very excited for you and, and want to support you. And sometimes people feel like the simple choosing yourself means that you're not choosing them. Um, and things will shift and change. But ultimately, at the end of the day, reminding yourself that it's still important that you choose yourself. It's still important that you um, stand, stand strong and firm in the boundaries that matter to you. Um, and not begin to second guess yourself now because they're uncomfortable with the boundaries that you've set. Um, and so, and, and again, it can be 
big or small, but usually it's the small boundaries that really change um, people because the small boundaries like going to bed early or drinking water or not drinking or not drinking is a big is, is a big one for you. But for it's, it's like a, just a social thing, whatever it is you're choosing for yourself, the small ways in which you're shaping and changing your life, whatever it is, um, it usually changes the connection that you had with that person. If all you did was go out and club together and now you're training for a marathon, the nature of the relationship has completely shifted. Right. And so I think understanding and having compassion for what that person might be going through as well. But that doesn't have to change what you've cho- chosen for yourself. I think that example of uh, not drinking is actually a really good one to mm-hmm. tap into for a second here, uh, because this can be, for instance, maybe you just don't want to drink one particular night, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're still down to go out for dinner, everyone's out and you have this one friend that yeah. says, just have a glass of just wine, like gl- just do this one thing. And you stand firm in that, but you leave that interaction feeling a little rubbed the wrong way that mm-hmm. this person wasn't really respecting your boundaries. So then my question to you is, Where's the importance of perhaps after the fact, maybe just talking to that person about Mm -hmm. how that made you feel and if there is value in doing that so that maybe the next time you don't experience that same altercation perhaps. Yeah. You know, I I name that because that's probably one that comes happens all the time. Um, Whether it's like have that glass of wine or come on, just take a shot, whatever. Or and then the comments that come after that, oh, you're a prude or whatever they say that makes you, you know, they they're they're trying to um what is the word? They're trying to pressure you into pressure. peer yeah, pressure. Peer pressure. <laughs> peer pressure you into. <laughs> We're so good with our boundaries. We don't even know what peer pressure is. <laughs> yeah, so, not a hundred percent true, but keep going. <laughs> no, v- facts. Still working on it. Always working. Um, but yes, it's important to first have the conversation with yourself. What was I uncomfortable with? Get as clear as possible with yourself about what just happened. That way you're walking into a conversation instead of an argument. You're walking into a communication instead of a let me tell you about yourself (laughs) um, Mm. kind of communication. Once you realize what's happening, who you're talking to, again, do that self-assessment. Who am I talking to? If I'm talking to the life of the party who's always having a glass of wine, then they may not think it's a big deal. They may not understand. And then, you know, have that conversation and say, hey. Um, I know you just wanted me to have a good time last night and I know you were just trying to help help me loosen up. But like when I say I don't want to drink, you don't have to worry about it. I'm fine. I was having a great time. Right. Um, and and remember that the the point is not to teach them, listen, when I set a boundary, you're gonna honor it because you know, you're not you're not their therapist, you're not their parent, you're not their school teacher. You're just advocating for yourself. And right. then if it happens again, then you can make a decision right there in the moment. I I mean, I think there's a time and a place sometimes to definitely check people in the moment and say, I said, I'm good. Like, yeah. And then that's it. This would be one of those instances that I would remind myself or ask myself, what is it that I'm hoping to get out of this conversation before I go into it? I ask yes. myself that a lot, whether it's conversations with friends or conversations in business, like how can I best present myself, stay true to who I am and the things that I want and have like a productive conversation instead of, again, you were saying like lecturing or lecturing or bullying, like that's not the goal here. Think about what it is that you're trying to walk away with. That is so important. And it's an important part of the uh, setting boundaries conversation. I'm not here to change you. I can't change you. And also um, being honest with yourself first, having that initial conversation is 
reducing the expectations. That's what that process is doing. Instead mm-hmm. of going into the conversation and thinking they're going to hear me, they're going to understand me, they're going to be like, I was wrong, they're going to apologize. That may or may not happen. What we're doing when we're thinking about the conversation um, or thinking about what we're walking into, we're getting ourselves prepared to go in. We're remembering who we're talking to. The remembering who I'm talking to lets me know, okay, they've never apologized to me before, so I probably won't be getting an apology out of this. The What am I actually here for? I'm reminding myself I'm here to voice my boundaries and to make it clear that I, that I was uncomfortable. There is no other expectation, right? They may decide to do this again. You can set a boundary. It doesn't mean that people will want to follow it. It doesn't mean that people will 100% be behind you on what they may say, hey, I understand that you didn't want to drink that night. I think you're overreacting a little bit. I, it was just, you know, I was just, and that's it. Like you, 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 you did what you came to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you could take it further if you wanted to and have an argument and, you know, or uh, have a discussion or have a debate. Personally, uh, we're human. Things are going to happen. Those yeah. instances are going to happen. But if like I was talking to a client, I would say before they had this conversation, how would having that debate, that argument actually serve you? Because mm. now we're going to be walking away from that. Now we've got a new problem on our hands. The, the conversation was originally just about, hey, when I say I don't want to drink, I don't want to drink. Now we're talking about how, you know, it, we're, we're taking it further when if we did that first self-check, who am I talking to? What am I expecting out of this conversation? What do I personally need? Then you most likely can walk into it with a clearer mind frame about I'm here to just advocate for myself. I'm not yeah. necessarily here to make them do, say, or be anything other than what they may or may not choose to do in that moment. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So we've talked about setting self boundaries. We've talked about executing your boundaries with others. We've talked about the conversations that may have that you may have to have if you mm-hmm. set these boundaries and they don't go so well. What we haven't talked on yet, but we did reference was the difficulty that can come hand in hand when you may have to pivot or walk away from certain relationships that aren't serving you when you set these boundaries. Do you have any advice for uh, the hurdlers when it comes to dealing with the feelings that come hand in hand with that? Oh, it sucks. Um, It does. When we set boundaries in relationships and or when people set boundaries and they end with us, you know, boundaries are really sexy when we're talking about setting them. For when I'm facilitating, they become less sexy when we're talking about people setting boundaries with us. So there's a couple of things. There's an important um, part of recognizing that People have free choice. Just like we're choosing ourselves, people can also choose to not choose us when we choose ourselves. And so th- the it, it's it's easy to say sometimes, well, they don't like me as this new version of myself. Well, maybe they don't. And they get to choose that. And if, if the point is for us to choose ourselves, um, recognizing in the beginning and understanding that people may not want to come with us, when we do that, it doesn't make them less than, it doesn't make them not having their best lives. It just means that we're not on the same path anymore. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, the first important part to recognize because we can also carry around a lot of resentment and, quote unquote, they're not on my level kind of energy when we think, oh, because I'm becoming a better version of myself, they don't want to come with me. They have a different idea of what life is and they get to choose that. And so, like, separating the two. But the second piece is the grief. You know, it's really hard when you think you have someone that's gonna, you're going to be with forever or that you're going to have around forever, especially when it's a friend. I found, especially in facilitating this work, that like 
the breakups with romantic partnerships are nothing compared to the breakups that happen with friends and family. Like that is the ones that people are like, okay, my partner, you know, whatever. I mean, it's hard, but my best friend since high school or my aunt, like I didn't see this coming. And I think with family, I'll just name that sometimes in families, we have this language and communication that we adapt to that we don't even realize is a boundary violation. So we've been operating in our family dynamic for our whole lives under this boundary violation. And when we start advocating for ourselves and choosing ourselves, we realize I can't be myself in my family without this boundary. And so Mm. I hope that makes sense. And so now we're setting boundaries with family that no one has ever introduced before. And so that can be really tough. And it's it's just important to recognize that it can, you know, really ruffle things. And um, but it's it's also important to recognize and name that you're allowed to have boundaries with family. When it comes to friends, our chosen family, that can be really tough too when relationships shift and change. For both of them and for all of them, grief comes up. Uh, we walk through the journey of sadness and discomfort. And every single person that I have worked with one-on-one has usually had to build some form of a new community uh, of people who are also on this journey because it can be really hard. Not not everybody is willing to do this work. This is a choice. We don't yeah. have to do this. Um, and so, but knowing that there is an opportunity for connection and relationships um, on the other side is really important. Definitely, definitely. And something that I've leaned into, I have this thing and I've referenced it on the show before, but I have this thing that I call my joy list. And it could be me dealing with the loss of a friendship because of the implementation of a boundary, or it could be me dealing with the fact that like my right hip feels a little wonky right now, which is very scary because I'm supposed to be running a marathon in three weeks. Mm -hmm. Either of those things, I'll go to my joy list, I'll open it up and I'll pick something that I know brings me happiness so that in that moment I can remind myself that I am in charge of my own joy and whatever is going on that is making me feel what could be inferior or frustrated or just glum is not going to go away. But I have the choice in that moment to do something about how I feel and move forward from there. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. I teach, uh, I teach, I call it the joy list, that same do exact you? thing. Yes. <laughs> uh, for people to keep uh, a list of five things that they love at, at all times, because we have to choose. It's, it's, it's one of the most interesting things about healing that comes, that comes up. We think that, oh, I'll set boundaries. I'll do all this work and then joy will just appear. That's not how it actually works all the time because life is still happening. Ups and downs are still happening. Stuff is happening on the news, friends, family, things are changing. We have to choose joy. And so, yeah. you know, reminding yourself to to bring that in is so important, an important part of uh, of healing and, and advocating for yourself and self-care. This conversation about boundaries has been so helpful, I think, for many of the listeners. I get so many messages talking about their, you know, want and desire to do this kind of work, but the fear that goes hand in hand Mm -hmm. with that. And if there's anything that I think is for certain in this conversation, it's that although setting the boundaries again can be difficult, that you will walk away feeling more invested and close with yourself, knowing that you're sticking up for you because I firmly believe, and I know that you do being someone who who does this self-healing work, it's that like it starts with you. And again, that idea that if you don't take the time to give back to you, to fill up your cup, 
up, then who are you to expect that um, you'll be able to show up in your other relationships uh, nearly as whole or as happy as you could otherwise? Absolutely. So important to, you know, fill up your own jar. It's so important to leave other people's jars to themselves. And anytime you're feeling that discomfort, you have an opportunity, you have a choice. And I hope that you feel the invitation to choose yourself. I love that. Yasmeen, how do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you for more inspiration and motivation? Give me the details. Yeah, so definitely follow me on Instagram at Yasmin Cheyenne. I share a daily post. Um, you can also join my list where um, I share workbooks and journals for free. Um, and then listen to the Sugar Drop Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. 